0: This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. It is wonderful to be with you and really to be with Jeff. I have uh, grown uh, much closer to Jeff in the last year and I've always respected you, Jeff, and appreciate you and um, I'm almost old enough to be his dad. I was with his dad last night. Um, he's a little bit older than me, so I'm not quite old enough to be Jeff's dad, but, uh, but when we're together, I learn as much from him uh, as he learns from me, I assure you, and it's just been a joy getting to know each of your uh, pastoral team members. I, sp- this weekend, was able to not only spend time with Jeff and his whole family, uh, but I was able to be with Matt as well, and um, and then, of course, I've uh, been with Joe and uh, Caleb at conferences as well and, and here this weekend. So you've got wonderful men serving you as a team. And uh, we just to be on the ground with you, to walk your neighborhood has been wonderful for me. So I'm really going back with a fresh vision to share with my church about what the Lord's doing here. And uh, we want to support you and be prayerful for you and celebrate everything that's going on here except your football team. So other than that, I'm from Dallas, uh, so uh, there there you go. But thank you for your warm greetings. And uh, there are some things that uh, supersede all other divisions, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. So when uh, when our church and your church can celebrate the same Savior, that shows there's something much greater uh, than what happens on Sunday afternoons, is there not? It's what happens on Sunday mornings as we gather to worship him. Um so let me pray, and uh, we will we'll jump in here. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us, and we thank you that it is always relevant to us. That we can look at a passage from thousands of years ago, and uh, it will resonate and inform and shape our lives. So now, as we look at an ancient text this morning, we pray that indeed it would shape our lives, and that it would change us, give us grace to hear your word. Give us grace to respond to your word. Give us grace to obey your word for your glory and for the good of our neighbor. uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, during the peak of COVID, when things were really shut down and uh, we were all inside for long periods of time, one of of the things that was thriving when so many things were dying uh, was the sort of do-it-yourself industry. Uh, during uh, early COVID in the spring of 2020, uh, Home Depot and Lowe's, their, their stocks were rising and people were going into their stores. As matter of fact, um, the Home Depot by me, I can remember going in the spring of 2020 and there just being a long line to even get in out the door. You had to wait a long time to even get in because people had time off. They were stuck in their homes and they decided that they would do do-it-yourself projects, known as DIY. Do-it-yourself, DIY. It was, a, it was a, a year of DIY. As a matter of fact, 70% of people in America said that they tackled some home improvement pro, project um, during covid 70 percent of americans said there was something i fixed up in the apartment or the house or the the the, my row home wherever you live there was something that i fixed up uh, and worked on during that time and if you remember there was a lot of diy do it yourself there was diy school uh, going on so people who had never been teachers were now uh, had a classroom of their own children Uh, one of my memories is there was diy haircuts I don't even remember that, but all the salons and barbershops were closed down, and so people were having to cut their own hair, and there were some horrendous uh, sights uh, on top of people's heads during uh, when the lockdown because people were having to cut their own hair. So DIY home projects, DIY school, do-it-yourself haircuts, and all of those are are fine, and we can, the hair grows back, and we can laugh about that, and the, the home project, maybe it worked out, maybe it didn't, but that was something that was going on. But there was something else that rose during this time that, that hasn't been so good, and uh, that's DIY religion, DIY Christianity. Well, what has happened is that many have begun to sort of do it yourself, to sort of cultivate and shape their own approach to the Christian faith, and that's what I want to talk about Today I want to read from the book of Judges, if you have your scripture with you or you have a device, if you look at Judges chapter 17, we're going to look at a passage that lays out for us uh, a portrait of DIY religion and then sort of tells us what that is all about. So Judges 17, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. This is God's holy word to us. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, The eleven hundred pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, and also spoke it in my ears, behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. Now, therefore, I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. And it was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod, and household gods, and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That verse, everyone did what was right in his own eyes, that's how the book of Judges concludes, and that's really the theme of the whole book of Judges. It's a period of time in Israel's history where everyone just did what seemed right to them. It's a time, it's really a tragic book, the book of Judges really is a tragic book, because it's a time where God has brought his people into the land, he's given them the gift of the land of Israel that he promised uh, to Abraham. He's been faithful to his promise, he's brought them in the land, and and, uh, they are now to to settle there and to live according to his law. And what they are to do is to represent him among the nations. They're to be a light in the darkness. But here's what happens. They get into the land, the promised land, and instead of being different from the surrounding nations to show them what God is really like, they begin to adopt the practices and the gods of the nations, and compromise. And there's this repeated cycle in the book of Judges. The people live there, uh, live in Israel. Then they begin to worship idols, and then God sends one of the surrounding nations to oppress them, and then they cry out for help, and then God raises up a judge, which is a military leader in this book. God raises up a military leader, which frees them from the oppressive nation, and they all repent and turn to the Lord and serve him for a little while. Then they turn to the nation's gods, and then he raises up a nation to oppress them. So there's this repeated cycle, and the section that we've just read shows us what life was really like in Israel, what his people were really like, God's people, and how they lived. And, and as we read this story, I'm going to walk you through the details of the story of this DIY religion story, and then we're going to come at the end, and I'm going to make some practical application for us today. So the first thing we read in the story is that there is a theft. We meet a man named Micah, and we find out, the first thing we find out is that he's a thief. He's stolen a hefty amount of money from his mom. And he he apologizes for it in verse 2, but it's sort of this rambling sort of apology, much like many of us did with our parents when we were young, where you just kind of beat around the bush and finally get to the point. Well, that's what he does. Verse 2, he says to his mother, "Uh, you know, um, the 1,100 pieces of silver, uh, you know, that silver that was taken from you? Uh, and and then, Mom, you remember you uttered a a curse, and uh, I heard that curse, and you know that, Silver? Well, it's with me. I took it. That's what he says in verse 2. So after this rambling confession, he admits that he takes it. So we, first of all, have a theft. Second thing we have in the story is we have a curse. So we not only have a guy stealing from Mama, but we have Mama placing whoever stole from her under a curse. She speaks this curse so that whoever is the guilty party, they will receive some damaging experience, some harm for stealing. And so from the story, we get the sense that Micah doesn't really wrestle with his conscience. He doesn't fear the Lord like he has disobeyed God, but he just doesn't want to be cursed. He just doesn't want to have the effects of a curse spoken over him, so he returns the money to his mom, and then there is a blessing. There's a theft, there's a curse, and then there's a blessing. Now surprisingly, it quickly turns to a blessing in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, where he says, I took it, and his mother says, blessed be my son by the Lord. Now, if if you see in your Bible where it says by the Lord, it's all capitals L O R D, all caps. Whenever you read in the Old Testament the word Lord in all caps, it's God's name, that He His self uh, attested name Yahweh, and so she is showing it's His covenant name with His people. So she's showing that she is blessing, uh, she, you know, blessing her son who has returned the money. She's blessing him in the name of Yahweh. She is saying, look, we are good Israelites. We are faithful people. I'm blessing my son in God's name. Good Orthodox folks. God who created all things and delivered us from Egypt. May he bless my son. May he bless my son. He restored, verse 3, 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. His mother said, I'm going to dedicate the silver to the Lord, so that 's the next thing we have is a dedication, a theft, a curse. She blesses him in yahweh 's name, and then she says i 'm going to dedicate all this silver to the Lord, to Yahweh from my hand for my son i 'm so thankful that, that he has repented and returned the silver. I bless him in the name of the Lord. I offer a dedication offering." To the Lord of this silver, so that verse three, I dedicate the silver to the Lord uh, from my hand for my son, so that he can make a carved and metal image. This is something that was explicitly forbidden in the Scripture in Deuteronomy twenty-seven. God said, Deuteronomy twenty-seven, verse fifteen: You cannot do this. It says, Deuteronomy twenty-seven, fifteen says. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or metal image. That's the exact language. I mean, this is explicitly breaking God's word. uh, Cursed is the man who makes a a carved or cast image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer, amen, Deuteronomy 27 says. So, she is... externally orthodox. We use the name of the Lord, we dedicate things to the Lord, but then she is acting in a way that God's forbidden. She's creating this carved image or buying this carved image. So it's ironic that he gets out of a curse from his mom by returning the silver and then gets under the Lord's curse by building an image. Um, Now, here's what's interesting about this. Throughout the book of Judges, the people are typically, when they sin, they worship false gods. Uh, They worship Baal or um, Ashtoreth. So they worship the, the, the gods around them. But what's happening in this situation here with Mom and Micah is they aren't worshiping a false god. They're worshiping a true god, the true god, in a false way, in a forbidden way. So they're breaking the second commandment. The first commandment, that was given to the people as they go into, uh, into their land was, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship the Baals, the foreign gods of the Canaanites. You shall have no other gods before me. The second commandment was, you shall not make uh, in the shape of anything an image and worship and a carved image or the likeness of anything in heaven above or earth below. So this is what they're doing. She's blessing the Lord. She's uh, dedicating this to the Lord, and then she's a carving images so that they may worship the Lord through their carved images. Why is this forbidden? Why does God say, you can't worship me through an image like they are doing? Well, the reason is because any image that we would carve or create, any statue, uh, any kind of totem pole like people worshipped in this day, uh, anything like that would not convey God's true nature. It would only convey part of God's nature to us, and it would hide part of God's nature to us. So if you remember back in Exodus, if you're familiar with the Bible, uh, when Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments, when he comes down from the mountain, he finds um, there that Aaron has made a golden calf. Aaron takes everybody's gold, He makes a golden calf and he says, here Israel is your God. So this is an image of Yahweh and, and, and the God of the Bible. What is wrong with what he does? Well, a golden calf cannot accurately portray God. A golden calf might show, I don't know, what, the strength of God that delivered the people from Egypt? But how can a golden calf show that God is merciful, God is loving, God is eternal, God is omnipresent, all places at once. God is omniscient, he knows all things. How can can a calf communicate any of that? So what happens when when a person makes an image of God to be worshipped, they they create a distorted image of God's nature. So the great problem is that we end up worshipping God as we design. We worship God as we depict him. We worship God according to our preferences and our choosing, and we necessarily eliminate part of God's nature that we don't want to worship. When Aaron builds the golden calf, it doesn't communicate anything about the holiness of God. Nobody wants to be thinking about that. They just want to say, our God is strong, and we will worship this calf, which represents him. So it creates an image of God in our making, And it hides truths about God that we don't want to feature or to worship. And I believe we do this all the time. This is common in our culture. I I, I don't mean making statues. I don't think that's necessarily common. Certainly not in the church. That may not be common. But we do worship a God of our own shaping so often. We cherry-pick attributes of God that we like, and we don't focus attributes of God that we're less comfortable. I mean, you'll commonly hear something like this, certainly in our culture. Uh, I like to think of God like, fill in the blank, whenever you hear, I like to think of God like, we're on the brink of idolatry right there. We might as well carve a statue. This is shaping God in my image. It always goes like this. I like to think of God as a loving God, not a God that would judge anyone. You know, I kind of like to think of God as when it's all said and done, he'll just welcome everyone into heaven. I I don't like to think of God as a condemning God. That's not my God. That's not the God that I like to worship or that I think of. We're not left with the option of picking attributes of God that we like and denying others. That is the same thing that's going on when we craft a statue. It's some representation of God while hiding his true image. Shaping God to my liking. Coming to God on my terms. Do it yourself. Religion. Concocting. The God that I feel most comfortable with. Well, not only is it -it do-it-yourself religion, it's worth noting that it's also discount religion. Do you remember there was 1,100 pieces of silver? Verse 4 says he he restored the money to his mother. His His mother took 200 pieces of silver and gave it to the silver smith to make the carved image. Something happens to 900 pieces. We're not quite sure. So it's kind of a discount religion too. It's do-it-yourself religion. But they were having a sale down at the Home Depot, so I, I came out 900 pieces of silver ahead. So we have this dedication. Next, we have a shrine. It says that Micah, verse five, had a shrine. The word shrine means house of God. Uh, Micah builds this whole little, not just a statue, but this whole little personal worship shrine. It's a stand, it's a, it's a hut, it's a, it's a corner of the room. I don't, I don't know what it is, but it's some kind of place of worship, house of worship. And then it says, verse 5, Micah had a shrine and he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons. The Bible, God prescribed there was only one ephod. There was only one ephod used in the worship of God. An ephod was part of the breastplate that the high priest wore. And it was in the, at this time in the tabernacle, later in the temple. The tabernacle was at Shiloh in this point in the history of the God's people. So there's one ephod that God has ordained and instructed that they make. It's in the tabernacle. But Micah just creates his own. An ephod was something that the high priest would use at times to discern God's will. It had a couple stones on it. We don't know exactly how it was used. These stones were used somehow to, um, to, to discern God's will about matters. And so Micah's like, I don't have to be involved with God's tabernacle. I've got my own way to discern God's will. I've got my own custom ephod. Not only that, but if you've got gods and you've got an ephod and you've got a shrine, you're going to have to have a priest. And so he just appoints, well, it says his own son, which that's really convenient. He can tell his kid what to do. To have your own personal priest that, that sort of does what you want, I mean, this is custom. This is made to order. I'm going to create this myself. He's now got his own son as a priest. God said that all priests had to be from the tribe of Levi. But this guy says, I don't have to be a Levi. We don't need a tabernacle. We don't need an ephod. I can do this myself. And so he just has his own son as a priest. So we have a theft, then we have a curse, and then a blessing, and then a dedication, and then a shrine, and what we end up with is a mess. Verse 6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Israel, at this time in their history, has forgotten God's law, has forgotten God's worship, has forgotten the nature of God, what he requires of his people, uh, and they are determining themselves how God should be worshipped based on what's right in their eyes. What's their opinion about God? We only know who God is and know him because he reveals himself to us. We have a revealed faith that's given to us in the scripture. Uh, It it requires us to read the scripture, to know God's word, and to respond to him. But Micah is acting contrary, entirely contrary to God's word, doing what he wants to do, determining his own guidelines. This is my God, uh, Yahweh, I'll use his name, but this is what he's like. This is how I will worship, and he's putting himself in God's place, really dictating the terms of worship in the way that he likes. So how do we apply a story like this that seems so foreign, so dated, carved images, shrines, ephods, priests, it seems so foreign to us, and yet I find this passage very relatable. I not only find it very relatable, I find it very relatable in the church today, in the world that we lived in, live in. Let me ask you, do you have any do-it-yourself projects going on in your own faith? Any do-it-yourself Christianity going on? I mean, I think there's two main ways we do DIY Christianity, and I think they're the theme of the scripture. One is we do DIY Christianity in our view of God our view of God. I've already alluded to this, but it's easy to sort of selectively shape our view of God from our own desires and our own preferences. Here's one of the best tests to see if you have a bit of a DIY view of God in your faith. Here's a question for you. Does God ever contradict or disagree with you? Does God ever contradict or disagree with you? If not, if you, if you never find God making demands of you that you're uncomfortable with, if you never find God's point of view mysterious and, and feel like, uh, you know, that, that, that somehow this contradicts my view, then it's very likely you have constructed God in your own image, God according to your own preference. One author, David Jackman, said this, Above all and at all costs, what natural human beings want is a God that will not make demands on our lives, one that will give us what we need but require nothing in return. That's a common cultural perception of God, even in the church today. I mean, look at Micah. He thinks he can serve God and worship God just like his culture does. I mean, his culture, they're building idols. The Canaanites all have idols to their gods. What's wrong with that? So he just looks to his culture. He's shaped by his culture. He relates to God the way he wants in a way that would be very comfortable in his own culture. The Canaanites would look at that and say, that's great. You've got your worshiping you you do you. You worship the way you want. That's the way they do it. And he is doing the same. But if you worship the holy God of the Bible, you will find yourself uncomfortable with him at times. When we come into the presence of his holiness through his word, there's something that pushes against us. He his ways are not our ways. He is higher than we are. He is other uh, than us. If we read the Bible and live a Christian life where there is no pushback on our preferences, our perceptions, but God is just very easygoing and comfortable with us because He's, well, He's just like us. The, the, the religion of the New Testament is is just as different. Sometimes we say, well, God is holy in the Old Testament. And there's all this temple stuff. and But in the New Testament, Jesus is our buddy. Listen, Jesus said, if you want to follow me, here's what it's going to be like. It's going to be like dying every day. You're going to take up your cross. and follow, To follow me is to take up your cross. And so if that's the Christian life, there are going to be pain points, pressure points, challenges. We're going to look at God and say, you know, at times... I don't get what God is saying. We're going to have to submit ourselves to him because he is God and we are not. As opposed to having him submit to our preferences. There's going to be times not only when God's going to disagree with our preferences, but there's going to be times where we're not going to understand what God's doing. We're not going to say, God, you're sovereign, but, but I don't get that. Do you know a third of the Psalms in the Old Testament, the Psalms, A third of them are laments. And most of them have a complaint in them against God, where they're saying, God, I don't understand what you're doing. Now, they end up on faith, every one of them. They end up with, but I trust you. It doesn't end with, I don't get what you're doing, God. It makes no sense. It's, I don't get what you're doing, God. It makes no sense. And yet I trust because you are faithful. If I never wrestle with what God's doing, then I probably don't really have a sovereign God that controls everything. I I probably don't really believe God is who he said he is. Now, of course, we should read our Bible, see God as different than us, see ourselves as sinners, see Jesus as the one who died for our sin and rose see that the Holy Spirit's been given to us to dwell in us, and we should come to great joy and great faith in reading the Bible. But it's not because God's just like us. It's because God is totally different than us, completely unapproachable in holiness, but has come to us in Christ and given his life for us and welcomed us to himself, not to construct a God of our own thinking, not to construct religious practices that we like and are comfortable with, but to submit to him as the Holy One who cannot be tamed, who cannot be domesticated by our preferences and our way of thinking. We submit to him, he does not submit to us. You know, many skeptics today, many skeptics are offended by the ways of God in the Bible, They're not comfortable with him. They say that the God of the Bible, he doesn't align with our modern Western sensibilities. I want to say that's a reason to believe in God. If God is always like our culture, like we think things to be, he's not a very great being. But if God is other than us, above us, and there's a mystery, we can't totally figure him out. We can't totally, there's some places we bow our knee and say he is good, he is loving, he is holy, we submit to him. The fact that God doesn't conform to modern Western sensibilities, I think is an argument that he is God, that we are human and that he is greater than us, not that he doesn't match up. With us, It shows that he is, in fact, a transcendent divine being who will not conform to our cultural likings of the moment, which change, by the way, every year, every decade, every generation. He is unchanging. Any DIY projects with your faith, any place where you're saying, well, I like to think of God this way, but I don't like to think of God that way. God doesn't really contradict. You find God contradicting you. If not, it would be good to read your Bible and pray, Lord, speak to me through your word. Show me who you are because I'm believing that the Bible's always going to press on me. It's going to convict me. It's going to forgive me in Christ as well. But it, it will press. Our view of God. Another way that we can have a DIY religion, DIY faith, is our view of his church. Do you consider Micah's view of corporate worship in this passage? It's all dominated by his preferences. It's all making everything easier for him. About 16 years ago, when we moved to the city we're in, it's called Frisco, it's a northern suburb of Dallas. It's uh, it's changing rapidly, it's becoming very international and very diverse, but it was less so when we first moved there. It was a little bit more Bible Belt-ish, I would say. And I was coming out of California, which is like not very Bible Belt-ish at all. Uh, and so there were certain, even though I grew up in Texas, there were certain cultural shocks when I got back. One was the abundance of churches, the abundance of large churches. And uh, I remember early on moving there, I was uh, at a baseball practice with my, taking my son to baseball practice, they're playing. And I hear these two ladies talking behind me. I grew up in Texas, but I've been in California two decades. So I'm uh, almost like a new, culturally, I'm a new new Texan. And uh, I'm standing there, and I hear this one lady say to the other, you know, what church do you go to? Which, which would have been a foreign California question to start with. But So what church do you go to? And this is what the lady said 16 years ago. Well, I go to this church, and she named the church, for the singing. Because the music is so great. And then, once they're done singing, we go over, we leave, and we go over to this church for the preaching, because the preaching is so great. At that t- She went to two buildings on Sunday mornings. Now, I've been to both those churches, 100% agree with her. The music was much better over here, and the preaching was much better over here. I, I, I don't disagree with her tastes, but she was concocting local church involvement to her like like it's a buffet. I'll take a little of that, and I'll pass on this. So I'll take your music, I don't want your preaching, I don't want your community, I don't want to serve, I'll come over here. I'll take your preaching. It's powerful, but I don't want your music. I don't want your community. I don't want to serve. It was all tapered for her. And I remember thinking, this is crazy. And now, with live stream, we live stream. I think you do too. This is a camera right here. Hello to my live stream friends. Hear me out. Don't change. Listen to what I'm about to say. Now, this is normal. I, I've had people in our church say to me, "Yeah, well, we watch the music at this church over here, and then we watch the sermon. Thank, great sermon. We we watch that, and, and, or, or we watch we watch two sermons Sunday morning. Like we're more religious. We're like more following Jesus now. We watch two sermons, and like we're moving the live stream around while it's going on. It's like the NFL red zone. It's." Ch- in the NFL Red Zone, you only see them when they're about to score. It's like church zone. I've got church zone. I can watch. Oh, I don't really like that song. Let's go over here. Oh, yeah, that's kind of traditional. Let's go over here. I heard what that guy said. Okay, going, ah, it's kind of getting dull. Let's go over here. And I can cultivate church exactly the way I want it. I can pull up multiple streams and cater. This is what Micah is doing. He is making it all about his preferences. Now I can sit in my PJs on my couch with my coffee, with my remote, and catch multiple catered services to me in the church zone. And then I can stay in the same seat and watch the NFL. I don't even have to leave. I can just stay there when church is over. I, we had a number of people in our church that said to me after watching the live stream, well, you know, what? finally we realized, wow, we're kind of being lazy. We're just, we're just going to come back. We finally came back. We, we still live stream. And I want to say to you, if you're watching live stream today, I believe, I actually asked Jeff's opinion. We talked about this a little bit last night. We both believe there are very good reasons to watch live stream. Um, if, if, you are, if there's health concerns or a health issue, maybe you're out of town, um, I think there's good reasons not to gather with the church. I think they're the same reasons that you shouldn't go to work. If you're sick, don't go to work. Stay home. If you're out of town, on a, you know, you're doing an annual vacation or something, don't go to work. Don't work on vacation. You know, uh, be away. I think the reasons I wouldn't go to work are the same reasons I probably wouldn't shouldn't gather with the church or something like that or or maybe you're a new maybe you're investigating the faith. I'm glad you're watching please watch you're you're checking things out. You don't want to come to a church yet because you're trying to find out about Jesus and and wonder if, if you're interested please watch this is this is great. We'd love to have you here too. You could come in and uh, sit down with us but there, so it, there are good reasons to watch, but what I've found is in do it yourself religion like Micah it's about my convenience. Micah builds his own shrine. You know why? So he doesn't have to go all the way to Shiloh for those three annual festivals the Jews have. Can you imagine getting all the kids on a donkey and having to go multiple days, take your most precious animal unblemished with you so that it could be slaughtered for the forgiveness of your sins? I mean, that is bloody. It's a long trip. It's expensive. I can put a shrine right out here in the barn and take care of all of that. That's what Micah's doing. And I can get my own conception of God. I can shape Him just the way I like Him, with my favorite attributes, and worship those. If I don't like it, I, I do. If I need to know the will of God, I've got my own ephod. We don't need the high. We don't need the high priest. Oh, a priest? Yeah, we do need him. That's my kid. I tell him what to do. He's my priest. Come on, son, no, 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 next song, go, keep, you know, I just tell my son, I got the remote telling my son what he's going to do as my priest. It's all about a lack of sacrifice, a lack of inconvenience, a lack of stretching. It's God on my terms, church on my terms. That's what Micah is doing, and I want to say this is very relevant for our world today. It's very relevant to me, it's very relevant to you. A similar question to ask about God is, does God ever disagree with you to wonder if you've created God in your own image? And a different different question about our view of his church and worship is, does God ever demand anything from you as a participant with his people? If If I've never feel like God requires anything of me with his people, then I have probably misunderstood my purpose among his people. Micah, nothing's required of him. It was $200 idols. They they made off with $900 in their pocket. It didn't even cost them all their money. It was very convenient. Not financially. It wasn't financially demanding. They still had 900 pieces of silver left. It didn't demand his time. It didn't stretch his service. But to be a part of the people of God, oh, it it takes all of those. God stretches us financially. God stretches our energy, our relational capacity. God, God, uh, God puts us in context that are uncomfortable so that we will come to him recognizing our need. We will love people that we wouldn't naturally maybe be around. That's the beauty of the church, God taking different people that would never be friends together, throwing them together, and I always find whatever small group I've been in, there's always someone there, and guess what? I'm always that someone for someone else in the group, but God puts us together to mold us in love, to grow in a common purpose around Jesus Christ. It it, it requires a stretching of my preferences. It requires a stretching of my time and my energy, and it is all worth it. Because if I am never put in positions where I am stretched about my view of God, where I'm stretched about serving alongside or serving his people, I will never grow. I assure you, Micah and Mama are very immature, They are not godly, statured people. The the passage doesn't end with, and Micah was a godly man in the land. No, the summary is, everybody did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in Israel. This is a time of judgment. They have no leadership. People run free. The the, the idea of freedom, I can do whatever I want with God. I can do whatever I want with worship. It's not a freedom. It's a trap. It's a trap to to be... um, Entrapped to oneself rather than encountering God with his people. Sometimes we just don't want to participate because it's just messy. People are messy. It's challenging. Have you ever read the New Testament? There's not a church in the New Testament that it would not have been a pain in the behind to be a member of. Every church is jacked up. Every church has got problems. There's not an easy church in the New Testament. You go, oh man, that'd be a breeze. That's right. That is called heaven. The new heavens and the new earth, it will be glorious. Until then, there will be challenges, but they're glorious challenges because God gives us community with his people. Do-it-yourself religion, or the, do you have a do-it-yourself view of God, a do-it-yourself view of his people? Here's what we need. This is the last idea from the text, very briefly. We need a king. It says that there's no king in Israel, and everyone does what is right in their own eyes. What we need, the sense is, if we had a king, this kind of nonsense would be knocked off. You, you don't get to do personal shrines and idols. Somebody would come and 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 get rid of that nonsense. We do have a king, and his name is Jesus, and he is good and glorious and loving, and he rules his very imperfect people like you and me, and he is doing something on planet Earth by not allowing people to run their own way and create their own religion, but by submitting to his benevolent, gracious, good reign, where he always acts for his acts for his glory and for the good of his people under his rule we gather with his people we receive his word we apply his word we receive the sacraments we we use our gifts we serve others we bear one another's burdens together we join together and live for Jesus as a community seeking to reach our city with his good news we lay out lay uh, live out our mission in our various daily daily callings in the places where he has Placed us and it is good and it is right and it is glorious and it's the very purpose you were created for. Do-it-yourself religion is self-created. It's where we shape God and we shape his church in a mold that fits me and that's self-worship. Biblical Christianity is serving God and being a part of his community in a way that he has designed and he has prescribed because his ways are above our ways and he always acts for our good. We don't need images. We don't need shrines. We don't need do-it-yourself imaginations of God and do-it-yourself church because we have a king and the king is on a mission and he is the Savior King, the one true God. Let's put aside our cheap DIY religion, which does look like our cheap DIY haircut from back in COVID, by the way, to get back to the intro. Uh, And let's get to the true and the better and the glorious purpose, embracing the king who's building his church for his glory and for our good. Let's worship him on his terms because his way is so far superior than anything we could think or imagine. Let's pray.